Welcome to another episode of Connect and Move Radio. I'm your host, Andy Fortuna, and today we're going to be going into the world of women's uh, health and prenatal and postnatal physical therapy. Today's guest is Dr. Taylor Reyes. She is first and foremost a mom to her daughter, Colette, a spunky little princess as she likes to refer to her, uh, and wife to a very patient and serving engineer, Lewis. She got her DPT from Hardin-Simmons University in Abilene, Texas in uh, 2014, then immediately began working in outpatient ortho in Richardson, Texas for three and a half years. She received her certification in functional uh, manual therapy through Institute of Physical Art in 2017. She started her own uh, practice, FIRE, physical therapy in January 2018, catering to the women's health population. She specializes in treating each patient as a whole and integrated moving structure, not just a single static body part. She loves serving people and giving back. So 10% of the cost of each initial evaluation she sees is donated to a prosthetic clinic and wheelchair shop in Antigua, Guatemala, called Transitions Foundation of Guatemala. Dr. Taylor Reyes, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me. No problem, no problem. So, um, I mean, tell us a little bit more of of your story, your background, how you got to where you're at now, and uh, yeah, let us know. Yeah, so um, the question I'm asked a lot is, what made you want to become a physical therapist, which I'm sure a lot Mm -hmm. of people are asked. And really, when I was 14, my dad said, you need to start thinking about what you want to do with your life. And I was like, well, I want to be a baker. And he said, no, you're going to be a physical therapist, (laughs) which is great because I'm a horrible baker. (laughs) I'm much more uh, the really hard and strict rules don't work well with me. So in baking, you have to be precise. So anyway, um, I... He, he had a lot of wisdom um, and foresight into my personality. So I just immediately went on the PT track, you know, doing all the observations, the references, all that kind of stuff. And so I um, went to Hardin-Simmons in Abilene, Texas. And there, one of my professors, uh, Bob Freeberg, was a certified functional manual therapist. And it is a style of treatment, an approach to treating patients that really is just phenomenal. And once I learned about it and saw how powerful it was, I felt like ethically I couldn't work under any other paradigm. And the great thing about it is it's a collection of paradigms. It's not just one way of thinking. So anyway, that um, is a certification I got in 2017, about three years after I had graduated PT school. And it's, you know, continuing ed, something you work on on the side. So I was working in Richardson um, with a really great mentor, uh, trying to develop those skills because the testing process is a bit of a beast. (laughs) If you want to know more about that, we can go into more details. But um, while I was there, you know, uh, becoming a professional, I knew that I wanted to be a CFMT. I wanted to really help the women's health population and I wanted to do medical missions. So in regards to the medical missions, once I be as right immediately into my professional career, I met my husband and, you know, your goals kind of have to change when you align your goals with someone else. So we're not necessarily going overseas anywhere, but, um, my family, my mom is actually from Guatemala. And a couple years ago I did an internship in Guatemala. And while I was there, we, um, met, uh, the owner of this prosthetics clinic or the prosthetist of the prosthetics clinic. And he introduced me to this little boy named Edwin, who 
at the time he was seven years old and he was just a doll. He, um, his story was that he actually followed his grandfather to work, who was an electrician and they, he wasn't supposed to, he was kind of sneaking along. Anyway, he ended up grabbing a live wire and was electrocuted, lost his, his entire left arm, scapula and everything. Um, and became a bilateral below the knee amputation or amputee. Um, and his grandfather died in the accident trying to pull him from the live wire. And then his, um, when his mother found out what happened, she was eight months pregnant, went into preterm labor. And then his Edwin's father left about a week later because he didn't, quote, want damaged children. So um, Transitions Foundation found him um, and they took him and his mom in and they got him some prosthetics and, you know, basically taught him how to walk again. So that, that story became very, very dear and true to my heart. And Edwin is just, like I said, a doll. So my way of kind of filling that medical mission field or that, that goal is to give 10% of every initial evaluation to Transitions Foundation of Guatemala. So we're not necessarily going back and forth. When I go down there to visit family, I do take um, wound care supplies to the clinic because they're always looking for donations like that. Um, but we're not actually currently serving anywhere overseas physically. So mm -hmm. that's, that's a little bit on the medical missions goal. And then, um, also in regards to women's health, um, you know, I really like my functional manual therapy certification because it allows me to treat anybody and everybody head to toe, no matter what it is, whether it's concussion issues, whether it's visceral pain, like gallbladder pain, um, weird stuff that, you know, Physicians can't figure out, they, patients kind of get written off, and really it's just fascial restrictions or just, you know, body parts not moving correctly that's causing their pain. Um, so that being said, it, it was a really great framework to put me in the women's health world because especially with pelvic pain, you get a lot of weird stuff. You get a lot of weird symptoms. You get a lot of women being brushed off by healthcare providers or telling them, I don't know if you've ever... Um, worked much with women with pelvic pain specifically, but they, a lot of times what they end up hearing is, oh, just drink a glass of wine and try to take a hot bath and do some yoga and your problems will go away. And it's like, well, <laughs> okay, whatever. But um, so there tends to be a lot of deep underlying factors that go into that. And then it's also when you get something that complex, it's not always not just physical. So, um, what I want to do is be a resource for someone to, in regards to the physical therapy component, but also build my reference book for them to be able to seek out a somatic therapist or a spiritual counselor, or maybe a more specific pain management doctor that can do if they need this Botox injections or, you know, cause I, I really like um, the holistic world. I'm a part of the Dallas holistic chamber of commerce. Um, I think there's a lot of value there and using conservative approaches, but sometimes allopathic care is just awesome and wonderful and is the answer for some people. Mm -hmm. So my goal is to be able, I provide my product well, which would be the physical therapy um, and then also try to be a resource for them. So, um, you know, and just kind of going into, uh, there's a lot of pelvic health therapists out there, really good ones. I, I feel like once you start doing pelvic health, um, and I say, take this with a grain of salt, but I feel like if you identify yourself as a pelvic floor therapist, you're going to be good because already mm -hmm. your 
looking out, you have your foundation in general ortho, um, general pelvic mobility stuff. And then if you're identifying yourself as a pelvic health therapist, you kind of have that extra in. Um, so for anyone listening that is dealing with um, issues down below or whatever, um, and when I say issues down below, I mean, it doesn't have to just be leaking. Um, it doesn't have to just be pelvic organ prolapse uh, or fecal incontinence. It can be like pain with intercourse. It could be feeling like you have recurrent UTIs that you can't quite get rid of, or, you know, you're, you're not testing positive for them, but why do you feel like you can't empty all the way you have itching or burning? Like that can all be a sign of pelvic floor overactivity or dysfunction. Um, and even uh, for men, because yes, I do women's health, but just, I feel like men kind of get left out in this area. And it's such a sensitive subject that one, it, it, it seems like such a female dominant, the pelvis seems like it like just belongs to females, but it doesn't, it belongs to men as well. And, you know, things like premature ejaculation or a painful ejaculation, like mm -hmm. that's all pelvic floor dysfunction. So, um, or if you, for example, if you're an athlete, you know, a lot of athletes feel like I have no problems, but if you feel like, you know, you're, you're not quite getting booty gains, so to speak, like your glutes aren't, mm -hmm. you're not getting the type of definition that you want that can be, and, and you're working hard at it, that can be a symptom of pelvic floor dysfunction. Um, so that being said, um, I forgot which, I started going on a tangent. I don't remember exactly where I was going with this. That's completely okay. But, I mean, yeah. what I want to circle back to, so you, you started what, you opened with what kind of got you into PT and it seemed like it was your dad and you gave oh. the reference of baking. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So you started there and then you uh, obviously went to school for to become a physical therapist, a doctor in physical therapy. You had a um, professor who was certified in, in uh, the functional manual therapy. Uh -huh. And you're like, wow, I really like this. You kind of dove into that, loved that world. And then you took the parts, uh, what you learned there and kind of redirected it into the women's health. In reality, you do work with a lot of people, but you, 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 know, you specialize into this women's um, health demographic. And uh, which we started talking about, or which you started talking about, um, was this pelvic health, right? This pelvic uh, um, entity as far as, you know, the physical, but also something that you wanted to also uh, create was a reference point, which, again, you mentioned you do physical therapy very well, but you wanted to be able to have uh, and point people in the right direction by creating this reference or this network with uh, somatic release uh, practitioners or uh, spiritual or whatever uh, it is that the patient may need, which I think is great because I think as a practitioner, we, we're part of a health team and right. it's very important for us to, uh, great. You may have a, a lot of the tools, um, that you, the patient are looking for, but sometimes you may not and understanding and knowing what's out there knowing practitioners, uh, who are willing and, and really are passionate about their specific uh, specialty, uh, and having that reference and having them in your network is really vital to the care right? Because care doesn't necessarily mean uh, what you're providing, but also who, you, what resources you're able to provide for them, um, which I think is a big part of what you mentioned. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then, uh, so you, you went into PT, you got this um, certification, uh, you went into the demographic of women's health, and you opened up uh, FIRE. Is that kind of how it played out? Yeah, well, so I, you know, when I was... Um, studying for my 
functional manual therapy certification. I was working full time at this outpatient ortho clinic and not to overshare or go way too much into it. But when I was in grad school, I suffered um, four major concussions in a two year period. And I had been, I was on the Mm -hmm. more healed end of a lot of post-concussive syndrome issues. That being said, I Mm -hmm. don't handle stress well. Like my threshold for stress is low. So knowing that I had to study a ton for this test, I didn't feel like I could work 40 hours a week and go home and study and not really send myself, like exacerbate the issues I had going on. So my employer was really kind and really, really willing to work with me. So I cut my hours back to 35 hours a week so I could study. Um, and cause it's like going to grad school again. And, um, mm-hmm. he had mentioned, you know, Hey, maybe, you know, depending on the season, when you want to come back full time, we might not need you to come back to 40 hours a week. And I was like, okay, well, huh, I'm kind of tired of treating my friends for free. <laughs> so maybe mm-hmm. I should start, um, my own little side hustle. Um, and you know, my husband's an engineer, so he's very like, strict when it comes about not taking anything under the table. So um, that I slowly started evolving um, fire physical therapy, which fire stands for functional, intentional, restorative and empowered, because those are the four main components that I feel like each visit should be surrounded by or, you know, that we should be able to walk away knowing that those four things were achieved or um, so. And then coincidentally, after I had kind of had this idea in my head, we weren't really um, planning on getting pregnant. We'd been married seven months. And then uh, it was definitely God's timing because when I, it just, I wasn't supposed to get pregnant. And um, so many prayers were answered by my daughter. So I am so thankful. And, you know, even though that wasn't a part of my plan, it, it really, being pregnant laid uh a foundation for me to kind of walk into this role um, as the physical therapist uh, of fire physical therapy with the goals that I had. So it was really perfect timing. Mm-hmm. And um, awesome. yeah, and I didn't know when I, when I, my daughter came a month early, um, she was born at 36 weeks. And, and in my mind, I was in like super denial about everything, hadn't done the nursery or anything. So I thought I was going to work till 42 weeks and, and, every, and I hadn't decided what exactly my plan was going to be in returning to work. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I thought maybe I would go back part time and then do the fire PT on the side. And um, it is, I, I don't know, anyone who's had a child, as soon as you hold that little baby, you just, your whole world changes. So um, I thought I was going to go back to work after 12 weeks and I didn't. I shortly after having my daughter called my employer and just said, Hey, I'm going to, I'm just going to stay home. Like I just, I need to be home with my daughter. And I didn't really have a whole lot of, I didn't have a a goal with fire PT other than I knew I wanted to maintain my skills, stay home with my daughter and, you know, whatever I earned from it, give back to just give back somehow, which that ended up being through transitions foundation. Um, that kind of has allowed me to fulfill the medical mission goal. So, um, I started, um, I formulated the, like did all the legal stuff when I was pregnant. Cause you know, when you have a newborn, I didn't want to be trying to wrestle that. Um, right. so, um, I started, I actually started seeing P 
people and I do, I actually work out of my home. Um, that's kind of my way to wear the mom hat as much as possible and the professional hat. Um, and my parents are awesome. They're both retired. They come and sit with my daughter um, while I see patients. So it's not like, you know, she's in a little playpen in the corner while I'm seeing patients. Like there is still a very, prof- Running around. yeah, like there, there is a professional boundary, even though it's still in my home. And um, I started seeing patients about eight weeks after I had her, just a couple at a time. And then um, it just slowly started growing. I, ha- I was invited to speak at an airway centric symposium for some dentists um, in regards to manual therapy for TMJ airway upper cervical and how that can be supplemental to using like dental appliances or the Vivos DNA appliance and things like that. And mm-hmm. just by uh, coincidence, great coincidence, there was a naturopath in the um, audience who really enjoyed what I had to say. And I made a professional relationship with her and um, I started getting to see a lot of clients from her who dealt with chronic pain and um, a lot of autoimmune issues and stuff like that, which I love. <laughs> the more complex the issue, the better. Because it's like, I love that my job are like big people puzzles, you know, that you get to mm-hmm. solve. So that I, that kind of helped really start getting my reputation and word of mouth. And then um, my goal was really, I wasn't going to start marketing until my daughter was a year old. Um, and she's 16 months now. So it just kind of the word of mouth really got things moving, got the ball rolling, um, thankfully. And then I started kind of marketing more specifically to um, the women's health world and, and reaching out to midwives and doula groups and OBs and Eurogynes and things like that. So uh, that's pretty, that's, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, that was a quite, I mean, again, each each of us have our own journey, right? But I think, and most of the time, it's not what we plan. <laughs> we create a plan and typically it kind of like buffers out of it. But um, talk to us a little bit more about this women's health. Like now that you, so you you got a couple of referrals, you started becoming reputable as physical therapist. Um, and then you started kind of specializing more towards this women's health uh, demographic. And then um, through your experience, uh, through your pregnancy and post-pregnancy, uh, you started to, I mean, again, you have the insight of uh, basically someone or women that are pregnant and then what they're what they're feeling and what they're going through afterwards. So talk to us, first of all, what is women's health and what does that um, kind of imply? And then let's talk about as well the uh, pregnancy, the pre and postnatal uh, journey. Sure. So um, women's health, like if you look at the APTA, like American Physical Therapy Association, if you're like a board certified women's health specialist, um, which I I do not have my board certification in that, um, you go more through the women's health as a whole, like it it can include not just pelvic issues, but as well as like lymphedema therapy, or, you know, a lot of uh, pre and post mastectomy uh, uh, intervention, and lymphedema work, and then a lot of post-cancer type stuff. So in the the women's health umbrella is very large. Where I land is more in the um, not just prenatal postpartum, although it's it's one of my favorite populations to work with. Um, But as far as pelvic, I kind of land more in the pelvic health umbrella. Um, 
I tend, when I get somebody that's more, needing more of that lymphedema work and things like that, I refer them to other uh, practitioners. So in regards to pelvic health, um, the patients, do you mean like the patients I see or are you talking about like what general pelvic health entails? Uh, let's go general. Sure. So we, you did mention a little bit of uh, pelvic pain and some of the symptoms and some of the cases that you might see. So let's go general and then we can talk about, um, you know, typical patients that you would see and kind of like your uh, approach or a day in the life of uh, a clinic day with you. Sure. So um, in general pelvic health, you know, that can be male or female and it can be the, the most common stuff you see is incontinence, um, pelvic organ prolapse, which typically occurs, in most cases, occurs after you've had um, a pregnancy, after, after you've either delivered or not delivered, but once you start having that extra weight and stress on your pelvic floor, it, it stresses the connective tissues. And if you don't really, if you don't have good lifting strategies or strategies to manage your pressure systems when you're exerting force, that can uh, contribute to pelvic organ prolapses. Um, it can, general pelvic health can also extend to pain with intercourse. So um, whether that is related to um, a trauma, um, a physical trauma from whether it's assault or just freak accident happen, um, or whether it's, you know, when you're sitting at your computer, and you're not using great posture, you know how your shoulders get tight and they get kind of locked up feeling and stressed, the same thing happens and mm -hmm. can happen in the pelvic floor. Um, so the a lot of times the symptoms that people experience uh, is really just an issue of overactivity. Um, now, people do experience a lot of patients I've had, or just in general, um, they can experience more overactivity, which is related to that tightness, which can create just the inability to relax, whether it's with intercourse or be able to uh, manage bowel movements properly or manage voiding properly. Um, let's see. So, um, sorry, I just got off track a little bit. Um, no worries. Then as if you've had any like spinal injuries, like to your lower back or to your tailbone, like a lot of women or a lot of people in general, even men, women, whatever, um, they fall on their tailbones and, you know, they might have a little bit of low back pain, but then they start developing these symptoms several months later. And really, I mean, your tailbone connects to a lot of your pelvic floor. And I mean, it's a, this nice big basket that attaches to basket of muscles that attaches to the pelvic bones, um, and your tailbone and your hips. So there's, those are all very large structures and a lot of movement, a lot of stress in that area. So, I mean, if you have this tailbone that's all just for imagery sake and lack of a better term, just mm -hmm. kind of crooked, and it's tugging into the pelvic floor, I mean, you can kind of imagine how that's going to affect things, whether it's just general comfort or, you know, sometimes people will sit and they just feel like there's a lot of pressure down there. Or sometimes people start to feel, women will start to feel pressure and think, goodness gracious, I have a pelvic organ prolapse when really it's just overactive tissue that needs to be calmed down and addressing pelvic health. There's different ways you can do that. So there's, um, I think a lot of people are familiar with like dilators or Kegel trainers or, um, mm -hmm. TENS unit, like all those modalities. And really like 
the foundation and the basics of everything doesn't really need all of that. It's more about teaching the body, okay, becoming aware, like body awareness is very important. It's like, what are you doing? Just like you'd say, okay, notice how you're clenching your teeth when you get kind of stressed or when you're working or when you're on a phone call. It's like helping people identify um, their body's natural strategies or tendencies. So it's getting that to calm down. Um, Because if you're not addressing the neuromuscular component of things, you can treat the mechanical, meaning like the muscles and joints and stuff all day. But if the neuromuscular doesn't change, the mechanical is just going to come right back. Right. So Mm -hmm. we want to make sure that we can treat what's causing the issue. Um, And being a manual therapist, I just like I just treat with my hands first. Um, I don't there really hasn't been a time not saying which probably next week I'll, you know, eat my words and get a completely different case. (laughs) But um, there hasn't been a time where we can't just do training with hands on techniques. Now, not all pelvic health, uh, you know, depending on what you've heard, some people think pelvic health is only internal and that you can't treat externally, but you can. I mean, there's a there's so much you can, you don't even ever have to treat somebody internally and by internally, I mean intravaginally or intrarectally um, because one, not everyone is going to consent to that and they shouldn't have to, you know. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of techniques you can do externally first. Um, to release the muscles. And then also, I mean, just looking at pelvic alignment, like, yes, the actual pelvic floor muscles are um, important, but, you know, what is your what is your hip doing? Like, is your hip, does your hip have good neuromuscular control? It might not be in your pelvic, just in your pelvic floor, because we talked about the big connections there. Um, how are you sitting? You know, just things like that. Um, so, you know, in regards to treatment, we want to address all of that. First, the neuromuscular issues, what their motor control strategies are. And then once we feel like, okay, things need a little extra help, that's when we introduce other things for either more biofeedback or tools to use at home. Um, You know, because if somebody, there's um, this really cool device I like, it's called um, a Kehel, K-E-H-E-L, Kegel Trainer by Joyon. And it's, it looks, it just looks like a sex toy. I mean, it, it's hot pink. And I, I even wrote them like, can you make this in a different color, please? Because, you know, I don't know, being in Texas, like I have some people that just aren't really willing to purchase a product that looks like that. Um, but it, right. conservative. Sure, yeah. yeah, that's, yeah, conservative. <laughs> so um, I, it, it's cool for biofeedback in the sense that it, it measures um, your pelvic floor contraction. And I guess this is where I'm going to say Kegel. And I, I actually went on mm-hmm. a tangent about this the other day about like pelvic floor engagement versus Kegel. People don't like the word Kegel, so whatever. But um, it, it allows you, it measures through an app. So it's kind of cool. You stick this thing in there and it has an antenna that sticks out and it connects to your phone. So you can um, it, you can actually do your Kegel or your pelvic floor, whether it's concentric or eccentric. Um, you can squeeze it and it'll measure your strength and kind of give you a tool to use, okay, like a like a cable counter or trainer that helps you hold and just gives you that extra input because especially down there when most people don't even acknowledge that it exists until it becomes a problem um, in the functional component. Um, sorry about that. Um, it's really nice, you know, cause I can't be with them all the time. 
So it's a nice tool to use at home. It's mm -hmm. like, okay, you just discern it. You can feel what's going on. You have a visual feedback to what's going on. And then it also, for the patients that have like um, uh, more pain, like penetration, or they just feel like they can't relax. And it's more of a, like in that moment, a mechanical thing. It has like a vibrating feature that you can just use as like, I I'm just a massager. I'm not talking sex toy here. I'm just talking about massager. You know, it's your prerogative, how you want to use it. But you know, as a medical device, it has some really cool features. Um, so, yeah, so that was kind of going down the road about different intervention techniques. Um, yeah, that's that's super interesting because I used to think uh, public health uh, or public health, uh, public health as uh, more like postnatal, right? But um, what we're starting to see or what I'm starting to learn here is actually a big topic that you mentioned is overreactive. It could be from posture. It can be from how you're managing stress, right? And you gave the analogy of like um, jaw, right? The TMJ. But what you're mentioning is this overreactive of uh, uh, positional, you know, what your habits, daily habits entail, how you may be handling stress. And again, we mentioned sex health as well, um, which are super important, right? And again, it's a topic that um, I'm sure for many women and I'm sure for, um, for men as well, it's uh, not a really comfortable topic to talk about, but like, hey, my public health is not so good, you know? So um, I think listening to this for the listeners, for those of you listening, I think it's important to, one, to make it less of a, of a, of a, a topic to be scared to talk about, right? I think it should be um, more natural to talk about. I think, especially when you have practitioners like, like Taylor, who are specialists in this, um, and see it, right, and, and are willing to help and have this conversation because, again, there's a lot of stuff that happen uh, when either it goes unnoticed or people just don't want to notice it because it's uncomfortable to even talk about. Um, and then we started talking about the most important things when it comes to uh, treating something like this is the awareness side of it is, okay, what's going on? What's happening? Are there things in your life that, you know, could contribute to this? Are there things that you can do right away? Is there something as me as a practitioner uh, that I can do that's non-invasive so that you're comfortable while you're still seeing progress? Um, I think that's super cool. We went into the neuromuscular, the biofeedback, um, and the self-care tools, which I thought was pretty cool. So I thought that was cool. Pretty cool yeah. Thing. Yeah. It's just, it's just fascinating. I feel like this world is like a new little island that just a few people have landed on and it's being discovered and it's like hey come visit me um <laughs> sorry there's um and you know i'm just only going to touch on this briefly just to kind of add to the information inform informative side of this because i am i am still learning more about this myself so i would not call my like i don't necessarily say hey come to me if you have this issue because i think there's a lot more um there's a lot deeper care that needs to be established than just superficial care. Um, and I think a lot of people do mm -hmm. that. It's like, they say, Hey, I specialize in this and you know, well, you don't specialize in everything of it. So anyway, um, there is a, there, the whole world around treating fecal incontinence. Um, it's, it's not just if you've had, you know, colon colorectal cancer, that it can be to like, that that is that can be more of a sexual health issue, you know. And there's different. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of. You can use um, balloons for training, like because a lot of times, just like you know, with when we're talking urinary incontinence, there's the issue of not being able to hold it, like you're leaking, and then not being able to empty. The same thing applies mm. for fecal incontinence, 
And just like with pelvic, like urinary issues or pain with like vaginal intercourse or um, we're even, even mentioning uh, painful ejaculation, like the root cause of it has to be determined. So if you're a male or female experiencing a bit of fecal incontinence or like what we'd even call leaking, but fecal leaking, like, and you don't know why, like, you know, you need to talk to somebody because it could just be something that you're doing um, that, that maybe the muscles aren't trained for. And you need to learn how to retrain them or you overexerted them or, you know, things like that. So when I have someone come to me for that, then I say, okay, this is let, because right now I would not consider that one of my strengths because there's a lot of cool tools you can use with that. So that's where I really appreciate my network of, of resources that I can send someone to. And then if you are someone like that and you don't, you know, wherever you are listening to this, you can go to the American Physical Therapy Association and look for a pelvic health specialist and then you can find someone that can help you with that. So. And I'll make sure to link uh, those links specifically that Taylor's mentioning. So you guys, uh, you should be seeing at the bottom of this podcast. And I think was first of all what's super cool about physical therapy in this in this health realm is that you can go however which way and however specialize right and really you can go as as far or as wherever you want to go with this right um there's so many avenues to help people and i think the way um again with pelvic health or if it's energetic work or if it's uh, somatic release you name it there's so many things that we can now provide as practitioners <clears throat> and how we want to specialize um I think it's really cool and it gives, you know, it gives practitioners the option um, or the, op- should I say, the opportunity to really find what they're most passionate about. Like for yourself, I'm pretty sure uh, 10 years ago, if you would have said, yeah, I'll be working with uh, public health and, you know, you'd been like, oh, what? <laughs> so I think, I think, you know, the fact that there's possibilities that we're able to help people in these, in this manner. And again, if we don't have the tools necessary, we're able to work with practitioners that do, and we can refer and uh, really create a team for the patient and really amplify this, this patient care. I think it's really cool. And, and, and I'm really excited to, to see where this, this uh, can lead, you know, and, and the possibilities are super, you know, they're endless. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's um, kind of the general about pelvic health. Um, just kind of getting your toes wet. Uh, now, now in awesome. regards to um, prenatal, postpartum rehab and fitness, um, or rehab, just PT in general. Um, <clears throat> mm-hmm. There's, you know, one we want to make sure we're talking about all four trimesters. The fourth trimester being the first three months after baby is here. Um, which is kind of a slightly new term uh, that is going around. But I, I'm glad it is a thing now because it, the pregnancy is the easy part, uh, you know, for whether you're managing your body now, that's if you have one kid or if it's your first kid, uh, whether you're managing your body or just maintaining, because once like most people, I mean, if you talk to people, the biggest thing of managing their issues is compliance and really wanting their goal and making it a priority. So you try to throw a rehab program at someone who is still healing, say they're three weeks postpartum, four weeks postpartum, which you wouldn't throw a huge rehab rehab program at someone at that 
phase just to clarify, but depending on what they have going on, mm-hmm. I mean, postpartum anxiety, postpartum depression, baby blues, postpartum psychosis, whatever it is like that, that's not a short thing. Like you just, your body has just undergone a trauma, a controlled trauma, whether it's C-section or vaginal delivery, but it's still a controlled trauma. And you know, then you're handed this child that you are meant to like feed or whether, you know, whether you're feeding from your own body or you're giving the, you know, baby from a bottle, like, mm-hmm. and it's 24 seven, you don't get sleep. And I mean, we know how important sleep is like, anyway, it's just, I think that, you know, everyone has babies. So you don't think about how, wow, this is really freaking hard. And no one ever told me. And why isn't this mm-hmm. in school? Why do they take home ec, home ec out of classes? I don't understand because it's a whole other vocation that you're not trained for unless you right. have like 10 siblings. But anyway, um, the going back to the rehab component of it, um, it the, in regards to postpartum, okay, let's just, I'll rewind to the prenatal, like the pregnancy component because it all builds. So as uh, if, whether you, the mother, wants to be fit or not, there's things that they need to focus on and there's things that they need to learn. And it's one, how not to stress their, overly stress their pelvic floor because you're about to gain, you're about to have a lot of extra fluid and, I mean, a human pressing on this basket that already supports your organs, right? And nine times out of 10, unless you've been educated on this, you do, you're not are, you're not managing pressure systems. And when I mean pressure systems, I mean utilizing your core efficiently because your pelvic floor supports the organs, like your viscera and everything inside your body. Because if not, it, you know, there's a hole and it would just fall out of you, right? If there was nothing else there. Um, so you, your mm-hmm. pelvic floor, your diaphragm and your abdominal muscles work in this beautiful harmony to make sure that everything is supported nice and tight. So as you, just for example, and there's different ways to train this, but just, just for example, a quick example, um, as if you're exerting force, so as you go into the challenging part of an activity, you would want to exhale as like your pelvic floor should engage as you exhale. And then the abdominal muscles should contract. So like if someone's going to throw a basketball at you or just something at you by surprise, and you kind of brace, you know, like that should be automatic. It shouldn't be something that you have to say, oh, someone's throwing something at me. Let me contract my core. Like it should just happen. And the same thing Mm. should happen with your pelvic, the way your pelvic floor follows your diaphragm. But our culture and just our general postural habits and lifestyle um, kind of trains that to be inefficient. So we want to make sure that as just in general, as any human male or female, you're, you're training, you're utilizing your pressure systems efficiently to reduce micro trauma, which just quick micro trauma versus macro trauma, macro trauma, you get in a car accident, you have whiplash, boom, micro macro trauma. And then you have micro trauma. It's like you carry a purse on one shoulder day after day after day until it finally creates that specific breakdown and it's the straw that breaks the camel's back. Okay. So using your core, your pelvic floor, your diaphragm, your abdominal muscles inefficiently creates microtrauma and reduces your spinal stability. And then we can go on a whole other topic, a whole other podcast on that issue. <laughs> so um, we want to make sure that the, the mom is able to utilize an efficient core because your core is made up your diaphragm, your abdominal muscles, and the pelvic floor muscles. So we want to make sure those things are being utilized efficiently so that it can tolerate the extra load that happens. 
Um, another thing that we, and then that is what, that's the, that's the road we, we would take in helping prevent or manage um, or make you less susceptible to a pelvic organ prolapse. So a pelvic organ prolapse is where either the um, rectum, the bladder, or the uterus can come down or through the vaginal canal. So if it's the bladder or the rectum, it wouldn't, like, if you look at a atlas or a picture, an anatomy picture, it makes more sense, but it just kind of bulges through, mm -hmm. and that can, that can interfere with, um, ex, you know, uh, having a proper bowel movement, or if, if the prolapse is more on the bladder side, it can interfere with uh, voiding, and, you know, if it's, regardless, your organs want to be in place, <laughs> so we want them where they belong. So, um, as your as during pregnancy, you at the very beginning you have a little bit of extra relaxin, but which helps with laxity of the ligaments and things like that. But then, really after the first trimester, it's more estrogen. When you have increased estrogen, that's when connective tissue gets looser. So, and we want that because we want mm. the body to expand. We want the baby to be able to pass through the birth canal um, with as little restriction as possible. But if you know it's it's this really nice balance and there needs to be homeostasis but if you have inefficient forces being placed on your pelvic floor that's when you are more at risk for an issue so uh we want to address that and then also kind of a hot topic right now is the diastasis recti diastasis diastasis tomato tomato mm -hmm. whatever we know what you're talking about if you say it so um a to a degree, that is normal. As your um, stomach expands, like you want that to expand, uh, that, that needs to expand. And the linea alba is going to separate a little bit. But what we want is, one, for your abdominal muscles to be contracting efficiently. And as after the baby is born, that we want everything to go back nicely together and depending on your genetics it may not go back together all the way and that's the thing it may not completely heal um and by heal i mean go back to zero finger breaths and how you would measure it is by a finger breath um and so you just look at how many fingers you can put in it with a contraction mm -hmm. so it may not go back to its original position but a lot of times you may have already had a little bit of diastasis before uh you were pregnant but unless you're measuring it, you wouldn't know. I actually, when I was working in Richardson, I'd get a lot of older gentlemen that would come in and they would sit up or start to do a crunch or something like that. And they would have this nice little bulge and they would have that same abdominal separation. So it doesn't just occur hmm. from a baby. And typically they tend to have a little bit more of that prehensile belly, a little bit more a little larger, you know, but not always. So yeah. it, it all has to go down with efficient. It all goes back to efficient movement. So uh, we want to work on managing the core. And I like, there's a lot of cool taping techniques you can do to help manage that. Like if you do get that splitting and when, when we go back to that, if we go back to the athlete, to the, the pregnant athlete, um, really there's a lot of activity modifications that you can do. Um, especially like if you're a CrossFitter and you're used to doing a lot of the, the pull-ups or muscle-ups or things like that, there's going to be a point where no matter how strong you are, your belly's going to get big enough to where it's there. There's the, I like the uh, Brianna battles. I don't know if you've heard of her. Um, she has, oh, yeah. 
She's actually going to be oh. on the podcast. Oh, my gosh. She's, like, one of my professional crushes. I love her so much. She has, like, the <laughs> best information out there. And she says, or at least I read it in her stuff, it's, like, can I or should I? You know? So, okay, I'm going to save. Uh, I'll just, you know, she can talk about that. I'll, I'll leave that train for a second. But, um, you know, there's a lot of great modifications that you can do. So, um, and there's a lot of ways to manage it, like taping. Um, you can use uh, support belts. Um, so when I was pregnant, I ran throughout my, well, the first trimester was a beast, you know, morning sickness, fatigue, all that. Um, but I ran, mm -hmm. I ran a 5k two weeks before I delivered. Um, and I'll kind of get into a little bit more of that in a second. Um, not too much though. Uh, and for me, if I didn't tape and wear my support belt, I would leak when I was running. But as long as I taped and wore my support mm. belt, I was fine. And it just gave me, gave my body that little extra appropriate reception I needed to be supported and balanced. So, um, and by tape, what do you mean oh, by, by tape? Like, so any type of kinesio tape, like the elastic cotton tape. So there's a bunch of different brands, mm. like rock tape, uh, kinesio text tape. Uh, uh, I think KT tape might be actually a brand. So uh, I, mm -hmm. I don't have... Uh, I think whatever works best for you um, is fine. I, I'm not, I don't have a specific brand I promote. Um, my, the courses I took was the Kinesio Techs. Um, I really like that. Mm -hmm. But um, Is there a particular way to, to like yes, tape? Yes, there or? is. And I'm actually about to put a how-to video up on my Instagram. Um, so, okay, yeah. Perfect. So, uh, be on the lookout for that. But it's kind of like this cross-stitch Um I'll make sure to link it on the on the cool. podcast. Yeah, as well. that'll be great. Um, so there there's this cross stitch pattern you can do. So check that out. Um, and then um, and of course you know a piece of tape isn't going to support the entire baby. <laughs> but there's different postural corrections. Like I'm sure you do this with your clients. Like you kind of train their posture to be uh, in, in a line so they have efficient core engagement. Efficient. Yes. So there's a technique yeah. we can do to help position the baby more inside of the pelvic rim versus hanging out way in front of you. So while as your body changes, you want to start, you need to be actively, the mom needs to be actively addressing that, hey, my center of gravity is changing and I'm going to have to change my strategies to adjust. So there's some stuff we can do to just kind of reposition the belly and then tape in the sense of, not necessarily support for an athletic performance, but to help you remember like, Hey, this is where I need to be. So, and again, managing your, managing the belly is what's going to help protect your abdominal muscles in your pelvic floor. So, um, and I, I actually love cupping. So, uh, uh there I have, uh, all I have for this is anecdotal evidence. I can't cite you any statistical evidence for this, but, um, uh, when we talk about the split or the abdominal muscle stretching and stretch marks, um, the one a theory is that the lateral abdominal wall muscles are just kind of tacked down, like they have fascial restrictions that aren't letting them expand well. Mm -hmm. So if you do soft tissue mobilizations to those muscles, um, which if you have someone that can do that for you, great. Or if you don't, then I like I liked to use cupping because I would do stuff to myself, but cupping is so much faster and easier for something like that. And when I felt like my belly was really, you know, you kind of hit that next stage where you feel really tight and you, you don't feel like you could expand anymore and you're an overstuffed sausage, I would just use 
cupping like along the lateral abdominal muscles and not not extreme like not aggressive like just really light and do more of like the strokes with it um and do more functional movements with the cups and and this is again stretch marks that kind of stuff that's a lot of genetics no amount of cocoa butter is (laughs) going to keep you from having stretch marks um because it's it's not just that um so some of the taping companies will say that if you tape your belly during pregnancy, you won't have stretch marks. Um, and if you use cupping, that you won't necessarily have stretch marks. I don't know. I know it helps. Um, and I've heard of other people not getting stretch marks with one pregnancy and they did with another and they use, you know, whatever. So anyway, just as another support and the cupping is not just used for the aesthetic component or the feel good component, but when we talk about um, muscular performance, you know, the better quality of tissue, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, mm-hmm. so those are things, those are kind of some major things, not limited to, but some major things we want to manage during pregnancy. And that, you know, depending on the activity or what they're doing, uh, and I guess this is a good time to say that I do something called labor conditioning and it's a, it's a service that I offer to my clients, patients, and I also do workshops in the Dallas area. Um, and it's basically a plan to take women through uh, the first three or four trimesters uh, with exercises and activities geared towards maintaining fitness and enduring a natural delivery. And then postural techniques to help with postural and recovery techniques for the fourth trimester. So when, when we kind of jump into that, what that framework would look like for the first three months, it's that general management of making sure your pelvic floor is moving, make sure you're managing your abdominal muscles or you know what's going on there, and then giving people exercises that meets them where they are in their current state of life. And like my sister, I, I love this, my sister calls herself fit as a Pop-Tart. <laughs> so when she was pregnant, like she was not, she was not going to run. Like she, you know, getting her to walk was like a, an, a feat in itself. So she liked, she liked gentle yoga. And and for her, I knew she wasn't going to really take out a lot of time for this. So what are exercises you can do while you're brushing your teeth, while you're loading the dishwasher? So you can multitask, especially if you're pregnant for the fourth time and you have other kids running around. Like, I mean, it's some people don't have a babysitter or a spouse to help them watch the kids. And just trying to get this mobility in whenever they can is the main thing. So whether you're a CrossFitter or you're an Ironman athlete or you're a Pop-Tart, you know, it's like we can find, or you have a thousand kids, like, you know, part of it is designing a program that helps you, meets you where you are. And then as we move, yeah, and then as we move forward, it's like the third and uh, second and third trimester when you start to grow, um, your body changes its pelvic mobility. So, and I, you know, any birth is an awesome birth. Medicated, unmedicated, C-section, vaginal, whatever. Like as long as the baby comes out, like that's that's a good thing. <laughs> so there's no, although my, the program is is geared towards natural delivery, it doesn't mean that the these uh, factors can't will won't help you at some point, right? Because every like I don't think we need to go over this, but the ACOG, American College of uh, Gynecology and Obstetrics, their guidelines for fitness for um, Pregnancy is five days a week, minimum of 30 minutes at a moderate intensity. 
most people don't do that in general, you know, like, and, Mm -hmm. and so that's, that's a lot, like, that's a lot for people to get in. Like if it's not already incorporated into their lifestyle and, um, tiny side note, uh, I actually, I'm trained in being able to help manage uh, special, special populations during pregnancy. So like multiple sclerosis, uh, spinal cord injuries, Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, et cetera, et cetera. And what I think is very interesting oh. is that even the, the, the standard of care for a pregnant woman in heart failure is still five days a week of at least 30 minutes of cardiovascular exercise. Isn't that like, and over here, it's like, oh, don't pick that up. You're pregnant. It's like, no, please pick it up. You need, like, you're about to be handed. Yes, you need to move. move. Like, it gets the blood flowing. Your your body's trying to uh, accommodate. It uh, Exercise helps with with the risk of you developing gestational diabetes and preeclampsia, which, you know, there are outlying factors. You can have, you can do everything perfect and you can still have something go wrong. So I don't want to make it sound like, if you do X, Y, and Z, everything will be perfect because that's not how life goes. But what you can do is have the tools in your toolbox to do as the as much as you can or want to do, right? So um, going back to the kind of labor conditioning protocol, uh, the you know we want to do exercises to help open up the pelvis because you know when the baby's coming out vaginally, the the pelvic bones need to flex and abduct. And uh, I guess depending on what school of thought you come from, some people believe that it's not that much occurs, but whatever. Um, you, like their movement can happen. And, and it's like, would you rather us kind of get that moving first? Or do you want your baby fed to be the first one to get that moving? You know, it's like, let, let us right. help you. And let's make sure that you have that end range flexion and that you can stabilize in that end range flexion because you're going to be there depending on how, your what your labor experience is like you're going to be there a, a while <laughs> like there are those people it's like oh i coughed mm-hmm. and my baby came out it's like good for you but that's not how everybody, everybody is you know so um just i mean if you just think about it like if you're laying on your back and you bring your knees to your chest and just not to be too graphic but like if a lady is having you know special relationships with their partner and it's like if you have your knees up too long and you're not conditioned like you're gonna cramp you know like you're either gonna get a charlie horse and so now imagine that while you feel like you're pooping out a watermelon you know like we're just trying to set you up for success here so um and then again the kind of the last component or one of the last components is doing a lot of perennial stretching um, so I know that people, especially wanting to do natural delivery, talk about perennial massage, which massage is great. And I think you especially know the difference between massage and like myofascial release. Like there's the palliative therapeutic mm-hmm. effective massage, which is awesome. And then there's like the, the, the techniques you can do that, Im- yes, will you improve functional performance of the muscular tissues, right? So a lot of times, because that is a gentle, a sensitive area, you don't really get a lot of most people that I know don't get a lot of work down there. So So just just for reference, what's the The perineum is so that's the area between like the vaginal op- like in a female, the vaginal opening and the anus. That's where most of tear- most of tearing occurs uh with vaginal delivery. And there's different degrees. Mm. So there's, you know, they go one through four, four being the most severe and it, it it's just progressive. It goes to like just a little bit of tearing on 
the bottom fibers to all the way tearing through the rectum. So, yeah, yeah, and then and then you you get that done. They stitch you up and say, here, here's a Norborn. Um, need it every two hours with your body. Like what? <laughs> so, um, so and you know, there's special. And then again, like as far as the rehab part. Okay, wait. No, I'll pause that. Going back to what we're talking about. Um, so we want to do myofascial stretching of the perineum. So there's not to get too far into this, but uh, the the kind of the piece de resistance or whatever of natural childbirth is the ring of fire. And that's like when the baby's crowning and it feels like you're about to rip. Um, hopefully that's not too graphic. <laughs> it's great. It's wonderful. Um, I'm learning so much today. It's my brain's like going crazy. Yay. This is great. Um, so what I like to do is one, it, with you as stat, like if you can go through and, and show somebody what, what a little bit of tension feels like or a little bit of external stimulus feels like or being applied to the perineum, it kind of gives them, because a myofascial release is going to not, by no means is it going to feel the same <laughs> as uh, the baby crowning, but it's, it, I think it can kind of give them a frame of reference of like, oh, this is the way the tissue is going to stretch it's not being compressed it's not being it is being elongated but it's not we're not trying to elongate the tissues we're we're applying a very deep stretch to it so you can go through that and and show one do the release teach them how to do the release themselves which i like to start that around 36 to 37 weeks don't do it after your water breaks um just because we don't want to introduce unnecessary germs into that area um, once the water breaks. So uh, I teach them how to do it and then how to do breathing through it. And then essentially, I mean, when you're pushing the baby out, it's a lot like it, you're not going to just blow into a deep hamstring stretch, right? Like you're going to, you're going to do a little bit of a hamstring stretch, back off, breathe into a deeper one, back off, breathe into a deeper one. That's really similar to what it should be like when you're um, breathing your baby. Like it shouldn't just be like, wow, one big push and just try to push it all the way out we want to mm -hmm. preserve the integrity of the perineum and then also just your pressure system uh, so that's that and then when we go into the postpartum component of it it's okay so what does you had your pregnancy journey Be what are yeah yeah so before before we go into postnatal i just want to review uh what i have here as far as notes and you kind of fills in real quick before we go into postnatal so, I mean, just as far as managing the pregnancy, we want to make sure that um, the patient or the, 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 yeah, the patient um, understands how to handle stress, right? Or um, stress on the pelvic floor wants to, you know, utilize the pressure system, as you mentioned, right? Utilizing the core efficiently. Uh, and we also talked about the labor conditioning, which I thought was pretty awesome, where it's either fitness, you know, this athlete that has been used to fitness and they're basically deloading or getting into modifications so that they continue fitness uh, while they're pregnant, or even talked about the the patient that might not have been introduced to uh, fitness, like, you, like your sister mentioned, the mm -hmm. part, right? But, or maybe you might have, uh, you know, a lot of kids or not enough time being able to provide these uh again, these little bouts of fitness, whether at home, brushing your teeth or washing dishes, like you mentioned, um, to increase that level of activity. Like you mentioned, um, it's the, one of the guidelines is to have five, you know, five bouts a week of moderate uh, intensity, which we just mentioned that not even the average person is doing that. If, if, if we're lucky, maybe twice a week. Um, 
which I think is really important, right? So having these little principles and because and, a lot of times when it comes to pregnancy, we're, we're taught, and I say we're, but, you know, when it comes to pregnancy, we're taught or scared or, or we are feared into this thought process of, okay, you're pregnant, you are very fragile, don't do anything. And the fact that, yes, you are carrying a human being inside you, and there are some uh, delicacies when it comes to that, but it doesn't mean you stop living, right? It doesn't mean you stop being active. In fact, you actually modify, but continue the consistency, mm -hmm. right, Taylor? Yep. So I think it's super important that, you know, some of the things you mentioned and some of the uh, resources that you, that you mentioned that you provide, like this labor conditioning, is super important to empower these women um, through their pregnancy and not making them... Uh, fragile, but in a sense, making more confident to uh, stay healthy. So I thought that was pretty awesome. Yeah. So with that being said, let's go into postnatal. Sure. So, you know, there, there's a lot of, um, like, especially on Instagram and whatever, there's a lot of, here are, you know, five prenatal postpartum exercises. And yeah, I mean, it's, you could, you could really close your eyes, stick your hand into a big bank of exercises and anything you pull out, as long as it's not like a crunch or a pull up, or anything that stresses a midline significantly is going to be a good exercise for you. Um, is so really how we want to address the postpartum component is uh, general strengthening, general conditioning in, in the sense of what can you do. But um, what was your experience during the delivery process? Like, do you have a C-section scar? Do you have a fourth degree tear? Like. Are we going to be working on training fecal incontinence? Like we were talking, are we going to be working about with training urinary incontinence? Um, are you going to be, is your pelvic floor going to be so stove up from like PTSD of pushing that eight pound baby out that you're not going to be ha able to have intercourse for a year with your husband because of the pain and overactivity and the spasms, which, and I want to put a side note in there. If you, you know, say you're cleared by your OB to go ahead and, or your midwife, to go ahead and start having sex again, or, you know, uh, and, you know, the first, don't, don't be worried the first couple of times, because it is such like an emotional experience after having a controlled and a natural trauma to your body. So don't, don't be worried if the first couple of times is, you're just figuring it out, right? Like, you just kind of have to reestablish a connection right but if you're going on several weeks and something just doesn't seem right or you don't even feel like like you're not even able to orgasm which a lot of that goes that can be related to the breastfeeding hormones and things like that so the biggest point is don't worry if sex isn't what it was before you'll most likely be able to get back to where you want it to be now if you go through several weeks of having difficulty with penetration, then that's when I would say go see a pelvic floor physical therapist because that's when they can start helping you relax that and get things back to where it was. Um, so, so no one should be a, well, okay. I want to be sensitive when I say that everybody is different and depending on the trauma and depending on the psychological components going on, you may be a year out and having issues with that but you shouldn't be a year out without some help. So if you're, you know, say you're even two years out and you just, it is just not something that is good for you, like go see a pelvic floor therapist. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. Absolutely. So, I'm learning. 
listen, what I'm taking back home today, my fiance is going to be like, what? I'm like, yeah, I'm uh, basically, I'm a professional at uh, pregnancy. Awesome. Right? awesome. Good. <laughs> so this is cool. I'm going to yeah. keep give, it coming. Give her my like, number. We can chat. <laughs> uh, um, so, you know, it, depending on what happened your, during your your delivery is what kind of determines how you move forward. If you have a C-section scar, and even, you know, you, even if you had a C-section, like things down there still aren't going to be the same, right? Like hormones, da, 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 all that kind of stuff. So don't despair. Um, you know, managing your C-section scar. Scar tissue is a very fascinating thing, and it is so necessary, but it forms very chaotically. Um, there is, it has no specific pattern in the way it lays down structures, and can't quote you who did this study. I read it in PT school, so everything like that is just gone somewhere in the abyss. But it was talking about how scar tissue travels, um, and it showed it had this study about, and it was a large sample size. I want to say it was like close to 2,000 women that had belly button piercings. So they looked at belly button piercings and how far the scar tissue traveled in their abdomen, and in a per, like 30 percent of the people with scar tissue that traveled it went all the way to their lumbar vertebra like that's intense wow. <laughs> right like when you especially when people have had any any anybody who's post-op anybody who's had surgery and they're still having kind of that deep weird or weird mechanical restrictions and you haven't had the scar tissue addressed or thoroughly addressed it's like it could be scar tissue like don't leave any stone unturned anyway back to the Pregnancy. So um, you kind of think about how we want to manage your your core, your overall core contraction, what the abdominal muscles are doing, and that C-section scar is not teeny tiny. And there's some really ones, really beautiful ones out there, but there's still a lot of restriction in the bottom. So that scar tissue needs to be mobilized. Um, it, you know, if you poke it, it should feel like the top should feel nice and supple. And you might have a little bit of a ridge to kind of wiggle back and forth. But if you press, I mean, even a, a quarter inch deep, like you shouldn't feel a big bulge there. Like it, it should be able to, it should heal nicely. Now we can talk about keloid scars. That's different. But anyway, um, now what I find when we talk about the um, diastasis recti, what has been really interesting to me, and this is anecdotal, um, when I have a lot of, a lot of women that come in with that condition that they, they just need their core rehabbed, uh, they will be, I've had ladies mm -hmm. that are up to five finger breadth with a scenario, five finger breadths wide. So, I mean, almost sticking your hand mm -hmm. through, right. Hand and I'll go through and I'll mobilize their mesenteric root which is a deep, that's, that's when we, that's a conversation about visceral mobilizations, but um, it's basically just think mobilizing the guts, like just getting that moving because that has connective tissue as well. So we'll go through and mobilize their connected, the mesenteric root and that, the, that opening will change anywhere from, depending on the size, can go down to one to two finger breaths. Or when I've had the ladies that come in with just two or one, just two finger breaths, we get it down to completely closed. Just, just in one visit. Now, what matters is what they're doing after the visit, right? Like they have to make sure they're utilizing proper, like efficient principles and that they're not stressing because we'll do that. 
and if they haven't done anything to maintain, it, it can go right back, right? But the, the important part here is that the body is capable, like the potential is there, and we just need to optimize it. So there's a lot you can do. So you can do, like some ladies may be doing, have bought all the subscription programs they can think of to try to rehab their abdominal wall and nothing is working. Well, it may not be the exercise itself. It may be deeper restrictions that are limiting an efficient muscular contraction. So, um, hmm. so and that, that's more like mm -hmm. soft tissue yep, uh, restrictions, yep, yep, soft about? tissue restrictions in the viscera. Um, or even, you know, just training the superficial because we, we kind of forget, we, we kind of look, we get tunnel vision sometimes. And, and sometimes, you know, with the abdominal wall or the lateral abdominal muscles, they, like I talked about with the stretching component, they get tacked down or they've been overstretched for this long time and they don't know how to contract or recoil, so to speak. So you got to look at which component mm -hmm. do I need to be retraining? A lot of times, I mean, and no matter like, I tell my patients, men patients that are in just for knee pain, it's like, we can give you hip exercises all day, but if we don't get the hip on axis or hip in alignment, like you're just exercising an inefficient joint. So it, it goes, it's the same principle. Mm -hmm. So it's all, it's all principle. So that's, and that's what makes things really customizable is, is it's not just a template approach you pull out of a box, right? Um, so for postnatal, we're looking at, you know, general conditioning that we talked about. And it also depends on your experiences, like what you were doing uh, before, what you're doing after or during. And then after is going to have some effect of where you're going to be or how fast you can get to either what you were doing before or how fast you can start to include uh, conditioning. And you also mentioned the uh, the sex life, which is super important. Again, probably a very uncomfortable uh, uncomfortable uh conversation for for a lot or embarrassing right they might think oh like um you know which could you know affect a lot of relationships right where the the wife or um the significant other doesn't want to tell hey this was going on and then the other person just like all right is it me is you know what's going on it's hard to it's hard one to i think as a as um in a relationship to have that conversation sometimes because the other person might not understand or uh, might not even uh, uh, knowledge-wise and not understand what they're feeling. But then it's also, I, I think, a difficult conversation from the patient experiencing the problem to an actual practitioner. Mm -hmm. Would you say that? That's sometimes a difficult conversation. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. And the, it, it's kind of, it, it goes back to the concept of like, and I'm sure you can relate to this. You ask somebody on their first visit, have you ever been in an accident? No. And you can't figure out mm -hmm. what's, you know, something's just not right. And on the fifth visit, you're like, are you sure you've never been in? Well, I was hit by a truck going 70 miles an hour right. as a pedestrian when I was 10. Okay, well, that's an accident. That's pretty <laughs> yeah, information. that's important to know. So, um, and, and I don't mean to sound flippant uh, when we're talking about people's history and experiences because it's all it, it all gets deeply rooted into different parts of their brain. So it's all legitimate and how, how it may not come up. I mean, you may just have to say, sometimes you just have to say outright, do you have pain with penetration? Mm -hmm. um, are you able to have an orgasm? Does it hurt when X, Y, and Z? Like sometimes you just have to, but you know, that's the whole concept of rapport. Like you need to be able to get a feel mm -hmm. for what they're comfortable talking about. That question may not come up the first visit. So it's just, and that's just, that just goes into being, having good clinician skills. 
or interview skills. So, uh, but you know, there, there's, Allison, go ahead. You mentioned, go ahead. So go there's ahead. also, um, oh gosh, I can't remember the brain, the brand off the top of my head, but there are, this is when I, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit more, I get shy about things. Like when I'm talking to my patients, I'm not, but it, as a person, I get shy about things. So and I think this is good for all practitioners to hear when it comes to sex toys, um, you know, there, it's not just, it's not, I don't know, dirty. I don't know however or whatever people perceive it to be like there, they can have a therapeutic application, especially like if someone who's had prostate cancer and they just, you know, a male that can't establish an erection, like there is a time where sex toys can actually save a relationship. Um, and th there can be a more, it's not just a fetish, right? Like there are actually, I think, oh, it's, it's called the O-nut, like O-N-U-T. I'm pretty sure that's what it's called if you Google it. And that's, yeah, I'm 90% sure that's what it's called. It's basically like this um, kind of extension you can use. So um, if you, like if you're having uh, penetrative sex, penetrative, penetrative, yeah, that word sex, then um, <laughs> it's basically acting as an extension. So your partner is still um, getting the like pleasure they need, but you're, you're not having to be penetrated as deeply, mm. which is huge. Like, I'm like, why isn't this on, why, why is this on Facebook ads? Like this needs to be everywhere. Cause it's, I mean, there's, because people don't like, they get weird. Like some people are like, Oh, I'm going to Google, like, what is this for? And then you get to those weird websites and right. then, you're scared you're going to get a virus on your computer. And you're like, what? <laughs> so. <laughs> you're, you're speaking the truth. And this is true. I mean, you know, this going to be truth for a lot of relationships. And uh, like I mentioned, it's, it's one is an uncomfortable conversation to have to, with a friend. Like, hey, by the way, like me and so-and-so are having this problem. You know, you're scared to what their perception of that is going to be. You're scared of what they're going to think. You're scared of how they're going to look at you afterwards, how they're going to look at your you know partner afterwards. So. I mean, I think that's why having someone like you on this podcast to talk about this stuff is super important. So keep cool. it going. You're doing oh, great. and I just, it's the ONA, it's O-H-N-U-T, by the way. Yeah. O-H. Yep. Yep. And again, I will link all that stuff. I'm very interested <laughs> on what exactly that is. So that'd be cool to find out. And then I uh, will link it on this podcast. So anybody's interested could uh, yeah. use the link. And all I'm going to say after that, or what I'm going to say next is just lube, 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 like no matter where you are. And if you think you got it, just lube, lube, lube there. It's out there. <laughs> and you mentioned uh, about managing uh, C-section yeah. scars. Are there like a particular like mobilization that you would use or a self-care education that you would give to a patient? Um, yeah, or, uh, sure. Well, you know, there, there's always the, I don't, I, I'm not a fan of Mederma or things like that. I mean, just good old vitamin E. Um, whenever you're healing, no matter what type of surgery you had, vitamin A and C are great. Make sure you're getting pr plenty of water, 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 like when you need protein and water for um, wound healing um, and for tissue management. And this is a great time if you're not already using some sort of like collagen supplement um, to like throw in, you know, a lot, there's some really good brands like uh, Vital Proteins, I think is the brand. They're really good. You can just throw it in your coffee or your smoothie or your water and it's tasteless. Um, 
because you, you just you want to feed um, you want to feed your your body's ability to relay fibers and, and create new tissue. So as far as like what you can do, um, and then I teach uh, when we're mobilizing scar tissue. I mean, it's just a soft tissue mobilization technique um, that you use, and it really just depends. It's not like I just teach my patients how to do it because it all depends about where the deepest restriction is. So it's not going to be the same on everybody. Mm -hmm. And I just teach them. It's like, okay, so if you wiggle it this way versus that way, you feel how it's tighter that way, that's the direction you want to work on more. Yeah. That kind of stuff. So it's, it's a lot easier to do once you can get your hands on it. And then. Awesome. I mean, listeners, we have talked about a lot here. We talked about uh, Taylor's journey from uh, going from, not knowing PT is to all the way to PT to really specializing in women's health and, and implementing her experience with uh, her pregnancy and her uh, childbirth. You went into what women's health is and certain aspects that you should uh, focus on and any practitioner, what they're looking uh, to work on. Um, we talked about overactive versus non-active. We talked about um, teaching body awareness, especially uh, when it comes to um, natural tendencies that may uh inhibit or reduce uh, uh, um, pelvic health. We talked about uh, prenatal and postnatal. Prenatal, like certain principles, certain things that you should think about and uh, look into and really pay attention, uh, especially when it comes to the labor conditioning side to even principles or or points such as uh, stressing the pelvic floor, utilizing your pressure systems, um, building a core or an efficient core and what that means. Labor conditioning, you know, some of the workshops that uh, Taylor actually, um, you know, teaches there in Dallas and a couple of things we'll talk about here at the end, some of the resources that she's actually been working on. Um, so there's a lot. I mean, there's a lot. And we, a big part of what we talked about as well today is the aspect of being comfortable to or finding somewhere that you can be comfortable with talking about uh, whether it's, you know, the sex life after pregnancy um, or even like the little nuances in pregnancy that may make it difficult and seeing a provider like uh, Taylor who specializes in this and understands um, the the struggles, right? And understanding what's necessary. And again, maybe she might not know exactly what to do, but she knows somebody in her circle that can help you. So having a practitioner like that, uh, that can help you and that can point you into, in, into the right direction is super, super helpful. So Taylor, you have, whew, there's a wealth of knowledge, man. I, I'm coming out of here like I'm ready for, for, for good. Yay. They're so, they're so good. Um, a few things before we go is how can uh, the listeners, uh, I mean, how can they get in contact with you? I'm sure after all this, they're going to want to know either more information or maybe want to speak with you. How can they get yeah, in contact? Yeah. So I am on uh, Instagram. My handle is just fire physical therapy. Um, no dots or periods or anything like that. Um, I am also on Facebook. Uh, fire physical therapy. My email address is firephysicaltherapy at gmail.com. I'm still, I know I should get a professional one, but I just love Gmail. So I'm, I'm dragging my feet on that. But no, um, and, Whatever yeah, works, right. And fine. then um, my website is firephysicaltherapy.com. So, and I, I have some blogs awesome. on there and then a little brief introduction to some labor conditioning, a few videos, which I'm going to kind of do a little overhaul to my website soon. So if you want to see the original, go ahead and okay. jump on there. <laughs> and then are you, I think you mentioned uh, some of the stuff that you're working on currently. 
Uh, yeah, so I'm um, working on a little ebook that's basically going over. It's just it's going to be short, just kind of like five five of my favorite exercises you can do for pelvic health. So, and a lot of that is going to be mobility and kind of what we talked about, the pressure system stuff. So it's going to incorporate some mobility exercises, like think more like actual stuff you get from a therapist to improve joint mobility and actual strengthening exercises and then other techniques you can use. So that's going to be available sometime eventually. I will be sure to announce it when it does. So. No problem. Um, any book recommendations that uh, you would recommend? Um, so, yes, not necessarily in, in regards to specifically prenatal postpartum, um, but there is a book by Norman Doidge called The Brain's Way of Healing Itself, I believe. And it's okay. about neuroplasticity, and I think that it's a concept that we as humans need to understand and how our bodies can interpret pain, how we face pain, how you can change it. Because I think the bit, what I have seen, especially working with a lot of chronic pain patients, um, is that our, um, like our mental health can express itself physically. So there may not always be like a tangible root cause to your pain. And if, and if you can understand your body better and the beauty of neuroscience, then it will prevent you from going down the road of being vic victimized, which I think mm. being having a victimized mentality, which is legit, like I get it, it happens. Like, uh, like I've been there, I, and I feel like I can say this because I've been there, it, it, it only keeps yourself it keeps you from moving forward and it just hurts yourself longer and and it's easy it's comfortable to be there so you 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 need to learn how to not go if when you're you may not have an issue now you may be 100% perfect never had a challenge in your life but one day you may have something that happens to you and if you can avoid that victimized mentality because you understand how your brain works i think that's huge awesome awesome um, now, this last uh, part of the podcast is called what I like to call speed round. And what that means is I have a few questions here and uh, you have literally about 0.3 seconds <laughs> to answer them. Meaning anything that comes to your head, anything that comes, the first thing to come up, you say, and usually uh, probably what you're about to say anyway. But so 0.3 seconds is a number I made up, but just know that you have minimal amount of time to answer the okay. question. Are you uh, ready for that, uh, Taylor? Yeah. Okay. Are you a little nervous? That's okay to be nervous because sometimes, uh, you know, I'm putting you on the, I'm putting you on the, on the, on the yeah, wire here. Yeah, so. Yeah, we're good. All right. First question. Favorite Disney oh, movie? Oh, Ariel, the Little Mermaid. That's just it. Just, Ariel. just popped into my head. Okay. I don't know. Wow. I don't okay, know if that's Murray. true, but okay. I'll go with that. <laughs> okay. How do you feel about putting pineapple on oh, pizza? So good. Yeah, so yes, you're, I'll go I for like, a pineapple yes, on pizza. I, I will eat pineapple and green okay. olives. I'm just saying. That's so good. You should try okay. it. Wow. Okay. Um, the last question. Are you ready? If you could travel anywhere in the world, where would it be? I why? would go to Lake Atitlan in Guatemala because 
I've been there. I grew up going to Guatemala every single summer until I went to grad school to visit my family. And it is like the number one like tourist attract or like go-to spot in Guatemala. And I have never been. And I've traveled a lot of places and I think Guatemala is still the most beautiful place ever. And Lake Atitlan is supposed to be just like breathtaking. It's a beautiful lake surrounded by volcanoes and these little villages. I'd love to go. Okay, fair enough. I have never been to Guatemala myself. My fiance is from Nicaragua and I have been there. Awesome. Uh, But I guess uh, that's definitely a go-to place when I have to put on my bucket list. And this last part of the podcast uh, is basically thank yous. Uh, And basically what that is, three thank yous I like to give. The first one is to you, Taylor, as a guest for giving time uh, or taking the time to be on the podcast and to uh, one, share share with us your story and what you're really passionate about, um, the knowledge of women's health and again, the the journey of pregnancy and uh, postnatal and postpartum. So thank you. Thank you very much for taking the time. Um, there could have been many things you could have been doing, but you chose to uh, spend some time with us and uh, share your, your knowledge and your passions. Yeah, I appreciate thank, that. Thank you for doing this. It's great. No problem. Second thank you goes to the listeners. Thank you to the listeners who, again, take the time to listen to this episode, to this podcast, because, again, it uh, doesn't matter how much knowledge and how much value you want to bring to the world and to, the, to others. If there's nobody to listen and to share that knowledge, um, really, we're just speaking into space. So thank you very much for taking the time to listen. You could have been doing anything at this moment. You could have been, you know, watching a movie, watching <laughs> Little Mermaid, like uh, Taylor loves to watch. Or you could have been, you know, listening to music or whatever. Or even watching TV and watching Netflix, you know, Stranger Things is all the rage right now. But you took the time, whether it's on your way to work or uh, from home to, uh, should I say, on your way to work or uh, going home or, you know, wherever it is, you took the time to um, listen to this episode. So thank you very much. And the last thank you, the last thank you goes to our clients, goes to our patients and goes to our students. Thank you very much for giving us the opportunity to share value, to share our passion, our skills, our clinical uh, skill set, um, our knowledge, like I mentioned, uh, with you guys. Because again, if there's nobody to share it with, there's really then we're learning all this and our passion doesn't go uh, used. So thank you very much uh, for seeing our value and for cherishing our value. And most importantly, for sharing your time with us. Um, with that being said, this is Connected Move Radio. I'm your host, Andy Fortuna, signing out. Hey there, Andy Fortuna here, and I hope you enjoyed that episode. I love the opportunity to connect and share information with passionate people just like you, and would love the opportunity to do the same for others. So please take the time right now to leave a five-star review and help spread the word about this podcast. Thank you so much for your support, and see you on the next episode. Hold up.